Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. This is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. And we're so thankful to be able to be with you each day. We're thankful to have this opportunity to pursue God's Word, to teach it. We try to do so accurately and effectively and in depth and in detail, but at the same time explain it in a way that is easy to understand and that makes sense for your everyday life. We're thankful that you are there. And we so appreciate hearing from our listeners. We've met many of you as you have come and kind of checked us out at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. And many of you have stayed on and studied with us further and ended up coming to God through Jesus Christ in baptism for the remission of your sins. And we're so thankful to be able to play a part in that. We care about helping you get to heaven. We care about teaching God's truth, again, accurately and effectively. This is not just a ministry that has been delegated uh, to fill a particular responsibility, and we just kind of do it without a whole lot of feeling or commitment one way or another. No, no, no. This is something that we take to heart. We're sincere about this. We really care. We want to serve God in this way by helping people get to heaven. And so we care about you, and we're so thankful to hear from many of you as you have contacted us in one way or another. Many have actually come to check us out at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ, and many of those have stayed on and continued to study, and they have ultimately made their choice to come to God through Jesus Christ, repenting and being baptized for the remission of their sins. And we pray that many, many others will take that same step. We pray that if we can help you in some way get to heaven, that you will let us do that. Our prayer is to help you get to heaven, and we really do pray for you. Well, we want to encourage you to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. The website is free. There are all kinds of study materials that you can access there. You can click on the Articles button and you can download and study through hundreds of articles that are based from God's Word. We encourage you to do that. Now, we also encourage you to scroll down on the home page to our Podcast button, click on that, and sign up for our podcasts. That'll take you maybe a minute. And all of that is free. When you do that, you will receive all of our sermons, all of our Bible classes, a great feature that we offer every day we call Today's Bible Class, about a 12-minute study from God's Word every day to keep us in the Scriptures, to keep us connected with God, to keep us thinking about our spiritual well-being. And you also receive all of these radio programs automatically to whatever device you choose, your smartphone, your laptop, your pad, your computer, Whatever device you choose, it'll go, all of these will go automatically every day. And again, it's all free. So we encourage you to do that. Churchofchrist.com and sign up for our podcasts. Now we're going to begin another section of the study that we've been going through on God's grace. We've talked about God's grace. We've talked about what it means and that it's really easier to describe than it is to really fully uh, define. You know, there's that definition out there that we've talked about many times, God's unmerited favor toward mankind. Unmerited means undeserved, unearned. 
and that's pretty good, but again, it's kind of technical sounding and everything. Well, we've talked about how it's, it's easier to really describe it than it is to define it fully and comfortably. And so we talk about how God already had the plan for man's redemption in mind before he ever created man, because in his omniscience, his foreknowledge, he knew that even though he would create man in God's own image with a soul, that man would sin. And as sinners, he would need redemption. He would need forgiveness. He would need to be able to come back to salvation. And so he already had the plan in mind for that to, for that to happen. And he would send his own son, God the Son, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to this world with the gospel message of salvation and ultimately be that one time for all time perfect sacrifice, giving his physical life on the cross through the shedding of his blood that mankind could be forgiven as they would come to him as the Savior, repenting of their sins, confessing him openly as God's Son and their Lord and Savior, and surrendering to him in baptism for the remission of their sins. Acts 2 and verse 38. So God did all of that for us, even though we did not deserve it. The Apostle Paul wrote in, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was made a little lower than the angels, so he could taste death for everyone. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. So you see, that really helps us understand God's grace more fully, what he has done for us. Easier to describe than it is to really fully define. Hopefully, by this time, we're getting a much better understanding of God's grace. In our last section, we talked about cheap grace. We spent some days studying about how people can cheapen grace, but at the same time, how that is disrespectful to God because he paid such a price for the opportunity for us to be saved by his grace. When someone just says, well, there's nothing you can do, nothing you're supposed to do, nothing you need to do except believe in Jesus, that's cheap grace. And we, we noted as we studied from scripture text after scripture text that God expects a response from us, a commitment from us, and then he will save us by his grace. So let's not cheapen God's grace. Remember, when Ananias came to Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 22, Saul had already been confronted by the Lord Jesus. Jesus told him to go to Damascus and it would be told him what he must do. He had to do something. And so when Ananias came to him, he said, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling in the name of the Lord. On Pentecost, when the Jews asked Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? Again, they were expecting some instruction as to an active response on their part. The first thing Peter did not say was, Nothing you're supposed to do, nothing you can do, nothing you, nothing you should do. Just believe, that's all. He didn't say that at all. He said first, repent. Now that's a change of mind. 
that is active to the point that it changes a person's life. But then immediately after saying repent, he said, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So he told them that there were something, some things that they definitely needed to do in order to be saved by God's grace. God would do the saving, but he expected certain response from them, and they needed to be active in responding in those ways. Now, Peter, when he was closing his second letter, and this is what we want to talk about in this particular section of study, Peter said in verse 18, the very last verse of his second letter recorded in scripture, he said, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. It's interesting that before that, the very, first, the very verse before that, he says, you therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Now you see, Peter was indicating there, and it should not be surprising at all to us. In fact, it should be something we expect to understand as God's instruction to us, as God's requirement from us, that we must be steadfast in our faith. That's active response on our part. Remember that Jesus said in Revelation 2 and verse 10, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. So we're talking about God expects something from us in order for him to save us by his grace. He does the saving, but we must come to him. We talked about how Jesus gave us the great, command, uh, the great invitation in Matthew 11 in verses 28 and 29. When he said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now he said, we have to come to him. That's active response. And we can't come to him just in some way or just in a way that feels good for us. We have to come to him his way. He said, take my yoke upon you. Again, indicating active response on our part. So after Peter has said, beware lest you, you also fall from your own steadfastness, then in verse 18 he said, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So we are to grow in grace. In virtually every New Testament letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, he began by extending the greetings, grace and peace to the recipients. But again, it's not just Paul who writes about grace. And it's not just in his letters where we read about grace. Here, the apostle Peter exhorts that we should grow in grace. We have that responsibility. God expects that from us. Now, how is it that a person can grow in grace? In John chapter 1 and verse 17, and we've looked at this before, John the Apostle wrote about grace. 
So you see, Paul wrote about grace, Peter wrote about grace, John the Apostle wrote about grace. And here he said the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now we've talked about this. John was not saying there that Christ came to end all spiritual law. Not at all. He was talking about Christ came to bring to a close and fulfill in ultimate detail the law of Moses. The law was given through Moses, John said. So that's the reference that the reference point that John makes here when he says grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. In fact, in our next section of this study on grace, we're going to talk about how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's grace. But right now, how do we grow in grace? We look at Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want us to read verses 7 through 11. Here the Apostle Paul writes, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Now Paul is referring back to his, oh, if you want to think of it as kind of uh, his, not just his heritage, but, but his credentials spiritually. He could trace his bloodline back to the Hebrews, and he could trace his, his schooling in God's word back to, you know, teachers of God's word, teachers of the law of Moses. He had quite a, quite a history. And so he, but he says here in verse seven, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss. He talks about how he had persecuted the church as a zealot Jew, thinking that Christ was a blasphemer and the church was made up of a group of blasphemers. And and so he says, I was circumcised the eighth day, verse 5, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee. So if you want to think about Paul's bloodline and his heritage from a spiritual pedigree perspective, oh, he had a lot on his sleeve. He could look to a lot of points of uh, importance in the eyes of the Jewish people at that time. But here in verse 7, he says, these things that were gained to me that I used to think were so important, these I've counted loss for Christ. You see, he came to understand a different way, that he needed to move in a different way spiritually, that he needed to live his spiritual life with a different focus, and that being upon Jesus Christ, his Savior. He had not believed in Christ. Now he believed, and he realized he had to let all of that stuff go for the sake of following Christ. In verse 8, he goes on and says, Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So here he even broadens the perspective that he's writing about, and he says not just that old, yeah, not just that pedigree, not just all those, that, that, that list of credentials from a spiritual perspective that were so impressive to others 
and also impressive to me. I've counted those for loss. But he says, from a broader perspective, I've counted all things loss for the sake of following Christ, for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. You know, each one of us needs to really stop and reflect. From time to time, on a regular basis, what is the most important thing in our lives? What is the number one focus in our lives? In what direction are we really living our lives? What is our goal, our main goal in life? I'm afraid we get caught up in the ways of the world too much. I've tried to teach and preach for a great, great, great many years that the only thing that matters is getting to heaven. Now, that's not saying there are not some other good things on the periphery. There are. But all of those things fall by the wayside in importance if we don't get to heaven. If we don't get to heaven, then our lives have been a failure. We have failed in life in this world if we don't get to heaven. So Paul says, I've given up all of these things. I count them all loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ. In verse 9, he goes on and says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, that is the law of Moses, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is saying, I've learned that I had to change my life, the direction of my life spiritually, and thereby change my whole life. My whole life. In verse 12 he says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. You see, just believing in Jesus did not get him to heaven. He had to put that faith into action in his daily life. He had to live that life of consistent, ongoing obedience and dedication and service that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, and now notice this, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul came to understand that he needed to change his life. He needed to really turn to God's grace, to God's strength, to his power to help him change. And he was really dedicated to not just making that change initially, but to living that change, that changed life, that changed direction in his life on a daily basis. said, one thing I do, now that again, I've got to get to heaven. How do I get to heaven? I've got to serve God through Jesus Christ. 
I've got to live that actively faithful, dedicated, committed life, obedient life, every day on an ongoing basis. Now, what we're talking about here is growing in Christ. I want us to look at another text along this line. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to read beginning with verse 13. And here the Apostle Paul writes, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, or a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children. Now he's talking about from a spiritual base, on a spiritual basis here. So that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. You know, there are a whole lot of people out there who are being pulled in all kinds of directions through doctrines of men rather than the teachings of God's word in scripture. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. So Paul says we need to grow up spiritually in Christ. In Christ. Now that's basically parallel, just in a briefer format than what we've just read in Philippians chapter 3 and verses uh, verses 5 through, uh, through 14. We need to grow up in Christ. How do I grow in grace? Well, remember that Peter said, grow in grace and knowledge. And so where do we gain knowledge that is going to equip us to grow in grace? He's talking about God's word. Remember that Paul wrote King James Version, study, other versions, be diligent to present yourself approved before God, a workman who needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling correctly and applying correctly his word of truth. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. So as we continue to apply ourselves to study and learn and properly make the applications to our lives, from God's word, from those teachings, then we're growing spiritually. We're growing and becoming more and more like Christ. We're growing up in Christ. And it would seem logical that if we're growing in Christ, then we're also growing in grace. We're going to stop and park here today. We'll come back and continue this section of our study on grace next time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for giving us your word to guide us. We thank you for your grace, and we pray, Father, that you will bless us and help us to grow in grace. Please forgive us, gracious Father. This is our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.